Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, How to Implement Systems and Processes, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, it can be located on the right side of my page under the episode directory, which can be found on voiceamerica.com on the business channel. Or search my name and the page will come up. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now to our topic, mistakes business owners make and how to avoid them. An entrepreneur starts a business for any number of reasons. Sometimes they've been laid off and want to try their hand at owning their own business. Some have a hobby they turn into products or services they sell. And some see it as the freedom to be their own boss. But no matter what the impetus for starting their own company, many make numerous mistakes. Most of these errors can have a material impact on the financial success of the business. Today, we're going to discuss some of the financial mistakes business owners make and how to avoid them. I discussed the top 10 errors in my chapter, the basic steps that help grow your business with ease. In the book, Business Success with Ease, top experts share strategies for accelerated growth. I was one of 20 authors sharing their expertise in their field, and today I'll share some information from my chapter. We won't have time to go over them all on this broadcast, but you can purchase the book on my website at www.abandp.com and you can search the Business Success with Ease tab. And if you'd like to learn more about the errors often made by entrepreneurs, this is a good resource for you. Since one of my goals has always been to educate business owners on things they need to do and help them avoid non-compliance penalties, Today's show will share some of these tips to help you follow the guidelines. American author Norman Ralph Augustine stated, Regulations grow at the same rate as weeds. And if you've been in business for any length of time, I'm sure you've found this to be true. There are so many things that must be followed from your local city ordinances to state rules to federal laws. Failing to meet these requirements can often be costly. So let's take a look at some of the common mistakes business owners make and how to avoid them. Mistake number one, failing to get the proper licenses and permits. A business license. So depending on your industry, there can be quite a few licenses and or permits that are required. Ensure you are legally operating in your city by applying for a business license and remitting the applicable fees. This is renewed generally annually and the fees can be based on any number of different criteria. Some charge by the income level, some by the type of work, and some by the number of employees. If you are operating the business out of your home, 
you may also need to secure a home operating permit. This is one of the factors I mentioned on my recent program, Business or Hobby, IRS Factors to Consider. Having a business license shows you are serious about your endeavor and want to be able to write off your business expenses. A DBA. Do you have a DBA filing, which is known as doing business as, which is also known as a fictitious business name? If you are not a corporation, but operate with a name other than your own legal one used on a tax return, you must apply for a DBA. Often, you must also publish a notice in a local newspaper announcing the DBA. This allows the public to know who is the business owner. For instance, when I first began my business, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services, I was a sole proprietor. Because the business didn't have my personal name, I had to register as a DBA so that it was identifiable and my tax ID could be associated with it. This also allowed me to open up a business bank account. Once I filed the documentation with the county and published the notice in the local newspaper, the DBA was valid. Once I became a corporation, I no longer needed to file a DBA as my company was now an entity with IDs assigned from both California and the Internal Revenue Service. A DBA is the easiest and least expensive way to register your name. You can create a separate professional business identity without having to form an LLC or corporation. And for sole proprietors, a DBA is required in order to open a bank account and receive payments in the name of your business. It's important to understand the difference between a business license and a DBA as they are not the same. I had a new client come to me once and I'd asked her if she had a business license. She told me she didn't need a license since she had a DBA. I had to explain to her that the business license is required in the city in which she operates and that the DBA allowed her to use her business name and was filed with the county. She had no idea she needed both. The IRS does not require a sole proprietor to obtain an EIN even when using a DBA. Instead, you would use your social security number. However, you may wish to obtain a separate EIN for the business to separate business and personal transactions. In addition, many banks require that a sole proprietor present a DBA certificate, an EIN, or both in order to open a business account. Depending on your industry, there could be a variety of additional permits needed. For instance, health permits for the preparation and or the sale of food, fire department permits, especially for businesses that will attract large numbers of customers, liquor licenses in order to sell and or serve alcohol, permits required for those selling tobacco, fuel, or products that result in hazardous waste, and there are other multiple permits or licenses required for specific industries. Be sure to check all local, state, and federal regulations to make sure you're in compliance. And sales tax. If you are selling tangible property, a seller's permit to collect and remit sales tax is required. This permit also allows you to buy materials used in the final product without paying sales tax on the purchases. And as discussed in a recent episode, 
South Dakota versus Wayfair, what it means for businesses selling online, you may need to register as a seller in multiple states and collect and remit sales taxes to each. Mistake number two, not properly calculating the sales tax. Most states have sales tax and many have multiple levels as a result of voters approving increases in their cities and counties. You apply the tax rate based on the location of your customer if products are delivered to them. Not charging the customer correctly for purchases means your business will be required to pay any uncollected sales tax. One thing to remember is that sales should be considered taxable unless there is a specific exemption which must be supported by documentation. For instance, proof of business is purchasing for resale by collecting their resale certificate. There are various errors that can be done on the sales of product and services. These include the failure to tax items properly. There are various laws surrounding what is taxable and what is not. Just because something isn't taxable in one location doesn't mean it's not taxable in others. You should look up the guidelines for where your products are sold to verify if taxable or non-taxable. If it's unclear, it's imperative that you request clarification in writing. Food items often vary in taxability from state to state. Some determine taxability based on ingredients or temperature. Some on if it's eaten in the location or taken to go. Labor, in some states, Certain types of labor are taxable. You can't assume because someone does a service that there is no tax due. Digital items. Some states tax digital items if the tangible item is taxable. Some don't tax if it's delivered electronically. And shipping costs. Some states tax shipping costs when they're part of an order regardless of whether the shipping charge is part of the price of the item or if it's listed separately. Others do not tax shipping costs as long as the shipping cost is shown separately from the price of the item. Another mistake is the failure to tax correctly for the jurisdiction in which the items are delivered. You must charge the rate based on where the customer received the items. Many cities and or counties have higher tax rates than the states and these can change in any quarter of the year it's important to know the current rate and charge it accordingly. Using the billing address to determine the tax instead of the shipping address is often another mistake. This becomes a problem when the seller is shipping to a location with the tax rate different than the rate in the city where the billing address is located. Or if the billing address is out of state and no nexus requiring the collection of taxes mandatory, but the shipping address is within your home state, requiring tax on the purchase to be charged. Another mistake is failing to tax sales delivered to out-of-state customers. In the past, this wasn't an issue. If you shipped out-of-state, your home state didn't require the collection of tax, even on tangible items, and the state into which it shipped didn't require out-of-state sellers to register. However, as of June 2018, with the passage of the South Dakota versus Wayfair case, the rules have changed. Another mistake is failing to pay use tax 
which is the amount of tax due on an item purchased if the vendor did not charge sales tax. If an item would have been charged tax if you walked into a brick and mortar location to make the purchase, but bought it online or from out of state, the uncollected sales tax is due in the form of use tax. If you have a seller's permit and file sales tax returns, use tax is to be reported when filing the report. If your business does not sell taxable products, the use tax is to be reported on your state income tax return. Failing to file state sales tax returns timely is another mistake. States have different filing frequencies and due dates. You may be a monthly, quarterly, or annual filer. Due dates may be the end of the month or a week or two earlier. For instance, Georgia and New York have due dates of the 20th of each month, while California monthly prepayments are due by the 24th of the month in which no tax return is filed. Quarterly reporting doesn't always follow logical periods. For instance, in California, the quarterly report is due the month following the close of the calendar quarter, which makes perfect sense. However, in New York, the return is due by the 20th every third month, beginning with March. So the months being reported are December, January, and February for the first quarter, March, April, May for the second quarter, June, July, August for the third quarter, and September, October, and November for the fourth quarter. Do you know your filing due dates or how often they should be submitted? Mark your calendars and set reminders to ensure you file on time, while always checking that the regulations haven't changed recently. Most states require businesses to file each period, and even if they don't have any sales tax to report. Another mistake is to have a discrepancy between recorded and reported sales. This could be due to improper posting of transactions in your accounting file. For instance, not properly recording allowable bad debt transactions, return taxable merchandise, or tax paid purchases resold prior to use. It could also be due to a poor accounting process, postponing the accounting and estimating sales when the return is due. Bookkeeping should be up to date prior to reports being run when used for sales tax preparation. Like all tax issues, Sales tax may seem complicated at first, but with proper planning, resources, and education, it doesn't have to be hard. Take some stress out of your business and get acquainted with your sales tax obligations today. And of course, if you need assistance, you can always reach out to companies like myself and other bookkeepers in your area who can assist you with the tax return preparation. Well, it looks like it's about time to take a break. When we come back, we'll be discussing more mistakes that are made by business owners, including the topic of 1099 processing. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, I explained the errors failing to get the proper licenses and permits, as well as those made in the collection and remittance of sales tax. Now let's review information for 1099 reporting, filing due dates, and how to complete the documentation. So mistake number three is not filing 1099 forms annually. As a business owner, you are mandated to file the forms with the Internal Revenue Service for vendors you have paid if purchases and payees fall into certain categories mandated by the IRS for reporting. In order to properly file these forms, it is necessary to have the legal business name, address, and tax identification number. To get this information, a W-9 form is sent to the vendor to complete and return. I recommend that you not pay your vendor until this form has been returned to you. Disregarding this advice may mean that you pay more than $600 threshold, have a filing requirement, but not have the information allowing you to complete the paperwork. Failing to properly file these forms may result in penalties. For example, if your business hired an unincorporated freelance IT technician to assist in your technology setup and they were paid $1,500 for the project, your business is then liable to report that expense through a 1099 by January 31st of the following year. 
forms are issued for expenses paid in the course of doing business only. You are engaged in a trade or a business if you operate for gain or profit. Do not include any amounts that would be paid personally. For instance, if your business pays someone to do landscaping outside of your office, that is a business expense and should be reported, if the vendor is subject. But a landscaper paid personally for working in your yard at home is not subject to receiving a 1099. Please also note that the nonprofit organizations are considered to be engaged in a trade or business and are subject to these reporting requirements. Other organizations subject to these reporting requirements include trusts of qualified pension or profit-sharing plans of employers, certain organizations exempt from tax under Section 501C or D, farmers' cooperatives that are exempt from tax under Section 521, and widely held fixed investment trusts. Payments by federal, state, or local government agencies are also reportable. According to the IRS instructions, file a Form 1099-MISC, miscellaneous income, for each person to whom you have paid during the year at least $600 in rents, services including parts and materials, prizes and awards, or other payments, including medical and health care payments, crop insurance proceeds, cash payments for fish or other aquatic life you purchased from anyone engaged in the trade or business of catching fish, or generally cash paid from a notional principal contract to an individual, partnership, or estate. Any fishing boat proceeds or gross proceeds of $600 or more paid to an attorney. You must also file Form 1099-MISC for each person for whom you have withheld any federal income tax under the backup withholding rules, regardless of the amount of the payment. Now, there are exceptions to the rules. Generally, payments to a corporation. However, there are some situations where corporations must receive a 1099 form. These include medical and healthcare payments, which would be reported in box six, fish purchases for cash reported in box seven, attorney's fees reported in box seven, gross proceeds paid to an attorney reported in box 14, or payments to corporations for legal services. Another exception is payments for merchandise, telegrams, telephone, freight, storage, and similar items. Payments of rent to real estate agents, but the real estate agent must use Form 1099-MISC to report the rent paid over to the property owner. Wages paid to employees. These are reported on Form W-2, Wage and Tax Statement. Military differential wage payments made to employees while they're on active duty in the armed forces or other uniformed services. These are also reported on Form W-2. Business travel allowances paid to employees. These may be reportable on Form W-2. Payments to a tax-exempt organization, including tax-exempt trusts, so IRAs, HSAs, Archer MSAs, and Coverdell ESAs. The United States, a state, the District of Columbia, a U.S. possession, or a foreign government. 
and payments made with a credit card or payment card and certain other types of payments, including third-party network transactions, must be reported on Form 1099-K by the payment settlement entity and are not subject to reporting on Form 1099-MISC. As my staff has reached out to clients requesting W-9 forms for those we don't have on file, I have found there is a lot of misunderstanding regarding who is considered a vendor for 1099 reporting. I've heard comments such as, you don't need a W-9 for them because they aren't a vendor. I paid them rent. Or, they don't need a 1099 because they didn't perform a service for my business. They are my coach. Or many similar comments. I think the misunderstanding begins with the definition of the term vendor. Many seem to think this is only someone who works with them in their business, but is not an employee. However, vendor means any person or company paid by your organization in the capacity of your business. Therefore, every payment you have made from your business is to a vendor. Penalties for failing to file 1099 forms. When the Trade Preference Extension Act of 2015 passed, it increased the late filing and failure to file penalties for several forms. Fees will be charged if forms were not filed by the due date, not having all the needed or correct information, and also if the intended recipient of the form did not receive it timely. Depending on the failure, the penalty increased from $100 to $250 per return. The penalty cap doubled from $1.5 million to $3 million. Businesses who purposely do not follow the filing requirements, the fees can double from $250 to $500 also. At $500 charged per form, the annual cap for a general failure is $6 million. If a company intentionally has failing, filing failures, the fee charged is $1,000 per form with no cap on the possible penalties. So if you are a small business owner with growth receipts of $5 million or less, there's a reduced maximum penalty applied. The assessment fees did double from before the act was passed, but there is a limitation on penalties. The penalties are as follows. $1 million maximum for failure to file, Corrections within 30 days is 175000 and if forms are received for correction before August 1st, 500000 So the deadline to file Form 1099-MISC if reporting income in Box 7, non-employee compensation, was changed in recent years. In the past, forms only had to be mailed to recipients no later than January 31st, but forms were not due to the IRS until February 28th for paper returns. Electronic filing would be due on March 31st. All 1099 MISC forms are now due to the IRS by January 31st each year. If you are not reporting information in Box 7, then the deadline does not change from prior years. A process that comes to mind that is very important yet easily overlooked is properly mapping your 1099 vendors and mapping potential 1099 expense accounts. If this is not correctly set up, you face the risk of government penalties for not providing your contractor their 1099 in a timely manner. A second consequence comes up when filing your annual income tax return. The IRS can disallow the expense as a business deduction, 
costing you even more of your hard-earned money. A few examples of potential 1099 subject accounts would be outside services, janitorial, and professional fees such as IT service providers, bookkeepers, and consultants. If there is a chance the expense could be paid to a vendor subject to reporting, mark it as a 1099 account. You'll also need to mark your vendors as subject to reporting. Be sure to enter the legal name, address, and tax ID and click the box that the vendor is eligible for a 1099. It's important that the 1099 forms are filled out correctly, including selecting the correct form to use. As most businesses file Form 1099 MISC, that is the one on which we'll focus. In the payer's name section, include the business name, address, and telephone number. In the payer's federal identification number, include your tax ID number, which is either a federal employer identification number or your social security number. Enter the recipient's identification number using hyphens in the proper format. Social security numbers, or SSNs, should be in the three digits, dash two digits, dash four digits format. Employer identification numbers, EINs, should be in the two digits, dash seven digits format. You should make every effort to ensure that you have the correct type of number reported in the correct format. When entering the recipient's name, put the owner's name first if it is not an entity, for instance, a sole proprietorship. You may list the business name below the owner's name. Include the recipient's address. The account number is required if you have multiple accounts for a recipient for whom you are filing more than one 1099 MISC. Enter the total subject amount paid in the calendar year under one of the following boxes based on the type of payments. Box 1. Rents. Enter amounts of $600 or more for all types of rents, such as any of the following. Real estate rentals paid for office space. However, you do not have to report these payments on Form 1099 MISC if you paid them to a real estate agent. And machine rentals. For example, renting a bulldozer to level your parking lot. If the machine rental is part of a contract that includes both the use of the machine and the operator, prorate the rental between the rent of the machine, reported in Box 1, and the operator's charge, report that as non-employee compensation in Box 7. Box 3, Other Income. Enter other income of $600 or more required to be reported that is not reportable in one of the other boxes on the form. For instance, if you are a law firm that paid funds to a client after winning a case, those funds would be reported in Box 3. Box 4, Federal Income Tax Withheld. Enter backup withholding. Persons who have not furnished their TIN, which is a taxpayer identification number, to you are subject to withholding on payments required to be reported. Most businesses do not have this issue. However, some businesses have received notification from the IRS to withhold due to a name and TIN mismatch. Box 6, Medical Care Payments. Enter payments of $600 or more made in the course of your trade or business to each physician or other supplier or provider of medical or health care services. Include payments made by medical and health care insurers under health, accident, and sickness insurance programs. If payment is made to a corporation, list the corporation as the recipient 
rather than the individual providing the services. The exemption from issuing Form 1099 MISC to a corporation does not apply to payments for medical or health care services provided by corporations, including professional corporations. Box 7, non-employee compensation, include fees, commissions, prizes, and awards for services performed as a non-employee or other forms of compensation for services performed for your trade or business by an individual who is not your employee. If the following four conditions are met, you must generally report a payment as non-employee compensation. You made the payment to someone who is not your employee. You made the payment for services in the course of your trade or business. You made the payment to an individual, partnership, estate, or in some cases, a corporation, and you made payments to the payee of at least $600 during the year. Generally, amounts reportable in Box 7 are subject to self-employment tax. If payments to individuals are not subject to this tax and are not reportable elsewhere on the Form 1099 MISC, report the payments in Box 3. Once all forms are complete, fill in the Form 1096. Your business information will be in the filer's name box. Include the business name and address. Also list the contact name, phone number, email address, and fax number. In box three, put the total number of forms submitted, how many individuals are reported, not how many pages there are, as there are two forms per page. If any federal income tax was withheld, place that amount in box four. Enter the total amount of payments to all recipients in box five. Place an X in the 1099 MISC box, then sign the form. The correct address to mail the documents can be found on the back of the 1096 form. By filing these forms annually, you are guaranteeing that you are staying in compliance. Be sure to have all information needed in order to file the forms long before the end of the year. If you wait to see if someone was paid enough to require receiving a 1099 and you don't have a W-9 on file, you may not get the information in time to file the form with the IRS. Be proactive and request the W-9 form as soon as you engage the service with the provider. Well, it looks like it's time to take another quick break. Be sure to hang around to hear why you shouldn't use a b- one bank account for personal and business transactions and penalties for not filing paperwork timely. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. And we are back. This is Candy with BizHelp for You. And in the last segment, we discussed the 1099 filing requirements and how to complete the forms. Now let's look at improper bookkeeping and not reconciling accounts. As a business owner, you may be doing the bookkeeping yourself and posting transactions incorrectly. You may not have taken accounting courses and possibly do not understand the proper way to track income, expenses, and other types of transactions. You may be so busy doing the work that you're unable to take the time to do your bookkeeping consistently. When tax time rolls around, you may quickly grab your paperwork and try to get the bookkeeping done well enough to give the information to the CPA. Perhaps you post all money in as income and all money out as expenses. This generally is not accurate. For instance, deposits may include sales tax, which is a liability, not income. Payments may be reducing liabilities, such as loans, credit card balances, or tax due. If you're doing your own bookkeeping, it's imperative to have a basic understanding of accounting principles and how to apply them to your business. Keep up to date with the bookkeeping so you know the health of your business. Waiting until the year is over doesn't help you make necessary changes to be more profitable. The balance sheet shows all assets, liabilities, and equity of the business. I have heard business owners say they only reconcile the main bank account because the others do not have many transactions. I challenge you to reconcile every bank, loan, and credit card statement each month. Improper posting of transactions will not be caught if statements are not reconciled on a monthly basis. Failure to do so can also mean that you fail to capture all expenses. For instance, if you're not reconciling your credit card statement, some expenses may not be included. For example, you've missed entering payments, purchases, or finance charges that aren't added to the balance. If the business is ever going to need a loan, the balance sheet will be requested. A balance sheet with accounts that have not been reconciled could be a problem. I recommend you reconcile all bank loan, credit card, and petty cash accounts monthly to verify the accuracy of the bookkeeping. 
It's also important to realize that if you're using software that imports your transactions automatically, this does not mean that your bank account is reconciled. The first step is that these transactions must actually be posted. Secondly, you need to do a full reconciliation to make sure your accounting software's balance is accurate. You verify this by matching transactions in your data file to those items that appear on your monthly bank statement. Once you've cleared each transaction, your discrepancy should be zero. If it's not, find the transactions that are missing or were perhaps duplicated and make the necessary corrections. Only when each account has been reconciled in this way can you be confident that your financial reports are accurate. Mistake number five is mixing business and personal funds. As human beings, we like making things easy, which is why most people look at having separate accounts for their business and personal funds as a bad idea. They think, oh, two accounts, it's twice the work for account reconciliation. No thanks. I'll just do the smart thing and combine them. After all, it doesn't hurt anyone. But that's wrong. Mixing business and personal funds can hurt you quite a bit in the long run. And here are some reasons why. Number one, bookkeeping will take you twice as long. You may think that you're saving time by combining your funds into one account, but once that account needs to be reconciled, you'll have to enter all the personal transactions besides those related to your business. Finding certain transactions will become more difficult as you'll have to sift through twice as many non-related items while keeping everything organized will become much harder. Save yourself the time and frustration by opening up a separate account for your business funds. And business and personal records can become confused with each other. Whether you're trying to account for your business income statement or your personal expenses, the number will almost never add up correctly when entered into the accounting software if they're combined. Unless extensive work is put into correcting the issue, business records could show personal deposits as extra income, while your personal expenses could be overstated due to business charges. Business reports would inadvertently display false numbers, while personal records would show large discrepancies in charges and payments. So prevent a small accounting error from turning into a disastrous tax issue by simply separating the two accounts. If your business and personal expenses are all entered into the software to reconcile, then there are additional items included on the income statement and or the balance sheet. If posting personal transactions to expense accounts, such as telephone and utilities, those expenses would be overstated. If posting personal expenses to a draw account, the equity portion of the balance sheet shows more money taken out of the business than would have been listed had the only owner only taken a distribution from the business for support. And the income figures are probably incorrect, as most people usually have some deposits personally that don't come from the business. Entering it in the software overstates how much money was earned by the business. Businesses that mix funds can end up losing money because your records are at risk for errors. Mixing business and personal funds can become a huge liability should you ever be audited, as any tax agency that reviews your books is more likely to confuse your personal deposits as extra business income while disallowing business expenses as personal ones. This can lead to an adjusted tax refund number which can cost a business hundreds or even thousands of dollars that otherwise might have been theirs to keep. Should a company take steps to avoid this, 
Because it takes longer to distinguish business transactions from personal ones when mixed, hiring a CPA to get the correct numbers can cost extra payable hours. And filing your business and personal tax returns. Tax filings are stressful for individuals and entrepreneurs alike. But if you're not an organized business owner, tax time can become a nightmare. If you have a bookkeeper or another accounting professional working with you, they most likely prefer you to keep separate accounts to help classify purchases and deposits for your firm. If you were to try to classify all expenditures in your account at the end of tax season, you can easily misclassify expenses and miss out on tax deductions. Plus, it places you at greater risk of being audited, which means you'd have to dig up the receipts for all of your transactions. Did you know that when corporations mix funds, their protection is disallowed? If you have a corporate structure in place, then you definitely want to protect your assets. No one wants lawsuits or business debts to put personal finances in jeopardy. When you mix your regular and company accounts, you are doing just that. A creditor could potentially have a claim against your firm and get both your company and personal funds, placing you in a very unfortunate position. If you have a corporation or LLC, you have to set up different bank accounts. Otherwise, a claimant can hold you personally responsible. And you want to develop business credit, which you do by having accounts in your business name. At some point, you may need a loan for equipment purchases or expansion. In order to do this, you'll need to have built credit under the business identity. Some small business financing options require you to provide information on your business cash flow from the bank statements or accounting data. If you cannot explain your revenues and expenses, you will most likely not be approved for the loan. And a good thing about a separate business account, if your business shows profit, your financial institution, bank or credit union, could give you a financing offer unsolicited. And finally, you will appear much more professional if paying with a business check or credit card than a personal account. Having checks written to a business name rather than your own gives more credibility as well. If the reason the accounts are combined is because the business needs more cash in order to operate, it's best to make a loan or an equity investment into the business rather than paying business expenses with personal funds. Once you're ready to make a draw from the business account, it can be a distribution or a loan repayment. If you have not yet opened a separate bank account for your business, I highly suggest that you do so, especially if you're an entity. If you're wanting to avoid bank fees, look into regional banks or credit unions, which often have no monthly service fees with a checking account. And even if you must pay a small fee, it's better to have a business account with a low monthly cost than to have to take the time to split transactions on the statements into business and personal categories. Don't waste valuable time and money. Separate your business from personal accounts and get your finances in order as soon as possible. And mistake number six is not filing paperwork timely. There are due dates for estimated tax payments, payroll and sales taxes, business licenses, unsecured property tax filings, and more. Educate yourself on deadlines that apply to your business to avoid late filing penalties and interest. Depending on the amounts due, deadlines may be monthly, quarterly, or annually. I suggest writing these dates on your calendar with reminders so that they are not easily missed. Late filing penalties are often 10% of the amount due plus interest. This can have a serious impact on your cash flow. 
Estimated tax payments are due four times a year if taxes are not paid through payroll deductions. Unless your business is a corporation and you are on the payroll, this means you most likely need to make these payments. They are made to the IRS and usually your state as well, and your CPA should give to you the amounts to pay. Due dates are January, April, June, and September 15th each year, unless this is a holiday or weekend, and then payments are due the next business day. Discuss the due dates for estimated taxes with your CPA. They will usually give you the vouchers for all estimates when the tax return is generated, and be sure to schedule the taxes if paying electronically or create a reminder to mail the check payments on time. Payroll returns. The federal 941 form, which is your quarterly federal tax return, is due the last day of each month following quarter end, so January, April, July, and October. The form 940, the annual federal unemployment tax return, is due January 31st. Form W-2, wage and tax statement due to employees and the Social Security Administration no later than January 31st. Form W-3, transmittal of wage and tax statements due to the SSA by January 31st. And state payroll returns, form numbers vary, due the last day of each month following the quarter end. Please note that these are the reporting filing deadlines, not the date the payroll taxes are due, which can be required as quickly as next day. However, most are semi-weekly, meaning any time a payroll is run, or monthly, tax due the 15th of the month following the pay period. For example, payroll run in January has a tax filing due date of February 15th. In a few cases, taxes can be paid quarterly. And for the very small businesses, if your federal unemployment tax collected is less than $500, that tax can be paid January 31st. IRS penalties for payroll taxes paid late. 2% for deposits made 1 to 5 days late. 5% for deposits made 6 to 15 days late. 10% for deposits made 16 or more days late. 10%. Amounts paid within 10 days of the date of the first notice the IRS sent asking for tax due. 10% if you paid directly to the IRS or paid with your tax return, unless you report less than $2,500 tax liability for the quarter. 10% for amounts subject to electronic deposit requirements, but you didn't use the EFTPS. 15% amounts still unpaid more than 10 days after the date of the first notice. And for each whole or part month that a return is not filed when required, there is a failure to file penalty of 5% of the unpaid tax due with that return. The maximum penalty is generally 25% of tax due. In addition to penalties, interest accrues from the due date of the tax on any unpaid balance. State agencies also impose failure to file and pay penalties and interest. Sales tax States generally charge a 10% late filing fee plus interest if not paid on time. As mentioned, previously the states have different due dates, so be sure to check requirements for any states in which you must file. Business licenses. Cities requiring filings at least annually and may at within the first two months of the year. But I have a client whose business licenses must be filed twice a year and are based on the prior six months income figures. Be aware of deadlines. 
and be sure to complete your license filing on time. And special tax forms. Each state may have additional documents required. For instance, I have clients who must file environmental fee returns, commerce tax returns, modified business tax returns, unsecured property tax filings, and more. Understand which rules apply to you and your business and be sure to file all reports on time to avoid late filing fees and interest. There's a lot to know when running a business and the potential for mistakes is great, but understanding these mistakes that can be made and how to avoid them will help you be a success. So thank you for listening to BizHelp for You on the Voice America Internet Radio Network. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it provided you with information to help you understand mistakes business owners make and how to avoid them. If you'd like to purchase the book, Business Success with Ease, please go to my website, www.abandp.com. That's www.abandp.com and select the Business Success with Ease tab. There are options to order a paperback, Kindle, or a PDF version. Next week's guest is Heidi Butzin, and we'll be discussing what has your website done for you lately? If you have any comments or questions, be sure to reach out to us at media at abandp.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And again, the website, www.abnp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember, tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.